0: Yes, hello there, ladies and mantelpieces. What a gorgeous Friday it is here in the mountainous west of the United States. It's Chappie, the British butler, once again joining you for Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese Part 4. And probably wondering why I'm playing the 1812 Overture. Ladies and gentlemen, I just received a tweet from that languid... Wonderful, beautiful, whimsical artist, Mr. David Gower. One of the heroes of English cricket. So, as we start the podcast today, then you've got an excited host. Thank you. So, welcome along, and uh, I hope you're having a wonderful Friday. And this was uh, during the week. And the week that just occurred that Brian May ripped his buttock to shreds uh, doing some exercises. I don't know if he was lunging, if he was playing air guitar or what he was doing, but he apparently did rip his buttocks to shreds during the week. Um, Just uh, at the moment, I'm just uh, looking at my pocket watch and uh, the time's coming up to uh, quarter past-ish, Mountain Standard time. And uh, today on the program... Uh, we're going to be looking at a number of different things, but we are going to have avuncular tales from La Campania, from the French countryside, from my uncle, who I spoke to in the week, a real rascal, and we'll be recounting tales of his uh, ineptitude, uh, drunken misbehaviors, and uh, general raconteurism ism uh, over the course of the next uh, week's years, millennia, um, so hopefully you'll, you'll join me on every episode as we delve deep into the French La Campagne. Um So some of the quotes of the week. Um, I witness men constantly doing whatever they like. Uh, middle-aged women can't have fun without being criticised, said actress Kate Beckinsale. Uh, Then uh, another quote of the week, having Hitler, Rommel, and Napoleon next to Maggie is not a good look. The former Labour spin doctor Alistair Campbell criticises Michael Gove's bookshelves. So obviously, um, you know, with all these Zoom calls that we're having, FaceTime calls, WhatsApp, uh, meetings, all of the others, um, you have to be very cognizant of what's behind you, you know, whether it's um, the naked gardener, the pool boy, uh, some Robert dubious reading material, um, the little red book, class by Chairman Mao. You'd be very, very careful that what's on the bookshelves behind you on a, on, on one of these Zoom calls. And I think Michael Go fell foul of that in the week. Um, and then uh, Robin Ham, um, Hambury Tennyson, 84, recovered from COVID-19 after five weeks in intensive care, said, "I simply haven't got time to die. I've got too many things to do." And um, do in, get in touch. Ladies solo sex tutor takes her lessons online in coronavirus lockdown. I'm not a doctor or an essential worker, but I felt like I had to do something for women during the lockdown. Karen Rose, 47, um, has her own uh, podcast uh, and her husband sent uh, upstairs while she's in the basement recording these uh, uh, sex tutelage uh, podcasts. And uh, everybody will be very pleased that uh, the grooming services return uh, for Thailand's Pampered Pets. I was just wondering if, you know, I know here in the U.S. we're opening up uh, slowly but surely. Um, but uh, in the U.K. nobody can get their hair cut. I'm talking to friends, family members and the like who cannot get their hair cut. They're looking, you know, cross between Neanderthal. There's a few rather dodgy man buns going on as well. But... I'm wondering if, if, the, if the groomers are open for pets, could you go in and get your barnet cut? Could you go and get a number two with a dog, dog shearer? If, you, if, they, if they're shearing Old English sheepdogs, why can't you go and get a, uh, a quick trim as well? And I don't mind. I mean, you give me a flea treatment as well, uh, whilst we're at it, just to make sure that none of the fleas are passed from uh, dog to human um that that's fine but i mean you know, if you can't get a haircut i would go into a pet groomers and lay on the table and get a number two um that that's that's definite that's a definite and then um men you know we i know on the podcast we've talked about facial hair and i'm starting a campaign i've got the t-shirts made i'm getting the mugs made Uh, of shaving off the bugger let's get rid of the beard but men have had an uncomfortable relationship with facial hair since the stone age narcissists started tweezing it out with clamshells the word barbarian is an outlier for etymologists uh, which means unbarbered an unkempt beard signifies a hairy marauder which is also usually true today in the 11th century, it was unbecoming for men not to have a beard. At least in the hair suit. The philosophers St. Alcims of Canterbury, beards were strong, then they weren't. Then with Victorians, they very much came again. And the boather of your whiskers, the more likely were to subjugate the colonies. So, uh, you can probably in the background. This microphone pretty good. We're actually getting a mid-afternoon hailstorm. Now, these hailstones, uh, I think, are as big as uh, soccer balls at the moment coming down. So if I suddenly disappear, um, uh, and, and you can't hear me anymore, and I disappear into the ether, then uh, you'll know that I've been struck by a rather large uh, hail ball. Somebody was asking me also in the week, they said, Chappie, um, when's Cricket starting up again? And, 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 you know, something I wanted to cover today, as I said, my hero David Gower has been in contact via tweet, um, one of the most beautiful elegant uh, holders of the willow ever um, but sorry, it's start to say when's cricket starting up again now part of cricket um, there's a bat there's a ball um, you know I'll try to explain it in a little bit more detail um, anon but I think some of these podcasts will cover cricket uh, as well but something that um, uh, that uh, you know, wanted to, wanted to, to think about is part of the, the skill with cricket or with the bowler is the polishing of the ball. Because the ball swings in the air when you pitch it, as an Americans would say, baseball, bowl it. Um, but you shine at one side and leave one side rough. And before, you know, all the COVID details and issues came about, then, um, you know, we, there were people losing saliva, sweat, everything rubbing it onto the balls now so there's no saliva allowed on the balls anymore um, mm-hmm. and you're they're, they're creating this wax this polish to rub into the leather so um, cricket will be able to start again once they've uh, developed this polish this wax uh, that we should actually be um, uh, you know coming out in the shops um, very very soon so cricket can get back to normal so that's something that, uh, uh, that we're very excited about um, amongst cricket-playing nations uh, of the world. Anyway, there'll be more uh, Florets of Fantastica uh, through the course of the programme. Uh, as I said, we're delving into the French countryside. I'm going to reveal a mystery from Carly Simon's You're So Vain song. Uh, I think we're delving into a sort of musical done it uh, over the course of the n- next uh, you know, couple of hours, days, years, however long this podcast is going to go on today. Um, so something uh, that I, I, I mean, during the lockdown, I really did let the hair grow. Luckily, I had it trimmed uh, with a very kind individual, helped trim uh, both the, 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 the hair at the sides and the back. Wouldn't let anybody touch the uh, the on-top barnet. That uh, sounds a little bit too much to bear. Um, but something I also did during the lockdown is um, I, I didn't cut my toenails. Now, I was going to try to see how long they would grow. I remember once a, a time um, I was on a bus in Chicago years and years ago, and I saw a lady that literally had a foot long nails on her toes she could have played the guitar i mean bob dylan would be very proud of a thumbnail this long but i'd love to see this lady playing the guitar with her toenails But it was like literally that long uh, but i did grow my nails so I, I wonder i mean does anybody out there cutting toenails especially the big toe is a real problem um i can get the nail clippers on the little toes but that big daddy Unless you soak it in a hot tub, and sadly there's no hot tubs open at this time. If you soak it in a hot tub, then um, you, you can get it cut. Um, but I've had to use the table scissors to cut my toenails. Does anybody out there have an implement? You know, whether it could be a medieval torture weapon that we could uh, cut the, the the big toe with? Because that's a real that's been a real problem during uh, during lockdown. Um, so you know. Part of um, what we do here at Keep Calm and Carry On, uh, uh, Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese. My, beg my pardon, I'm I'm, I'm uh, messing up my uh, my even the title of my own podcast. Um, is we 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 look at recipes as well. You know, part of the podcast is a um, uh, laden full of whimsy, uh, looking back at bygone ages, taking things slower, breathing in. The fresh air around you, looking looking at everything through rose-colored spectacles, and just taking one's time is, I think, the the, the whole nature of, of the podcast here. Um, last week or last few weeks, you know, looked at cauliflower cheese. Um, uh, we we you know today we're going to look at the wonderful Cornish pasty. Now, uh, meat pies are really a, a common food in south africa australia the uk uh i have to say the meat pie is is, is much more uh, tasty and um unctuous and delicious uh than the fruit pie now i'm going to get a lot of people replying back as so i'm talking a, a absolute uh a twallop here um but the the meat pie is, is rather wonderful um and I have to admit, I'm not a bad cook, but for, but for many, uh, for many uh, years, I used to cook the ingredients of my Cornish pasty um, and then put the pasty together. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I found a website and it's actually an American lady had put together this website about uh, Cornish pasties. Now, she um, said all of the elements of the pasty should be put in uh, rare. Um, uncooked Um, and this is exactly what I did so I made the pastry I have incredibly hot hands um, and and it really does uh, disable my pastry making skills quite a little bit Um, so I was wondering if there are ways I know you can get bionic hands and arms out there if a colder iron fist would uh, would be better in terms of kneading pastry dough because uh, it's, it's quite difficult if you've got hot hands to knead the pastry dough. So has anybody tried the Iron Fist kneading the, the, the pastry dough out there? I'd love to hear about that. Uh, but for those who haven't got bionic arms or Iron fists, the next best thing is a food processor. Now the food processor is a wonderful invention for those with hot hands. You can put a, 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 a cup and a half of the flour in there. You can, uh, you can add a little bit of iced water. I use about um, uh, a stick and a little bit of butter and I just blend that up uh, in the uh, food processor, adding a little bit of iced water and then you can get a perfect consistency. It forms its own ball so you you don't really have to touch the pastry. The the touching of the pastry is the thing that makes it so difficult. And and then you can just put it in the freezer. Whilst you're doing that, you're chopping up carrots, uh, potatoes, the stewing steak uh, as well, and um, swede or rutabaga. And I don't know if it's rutabaga or rutabaga or what it is uh, in America. But this it, 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 seriously, the if you peel the skin off a rutabaga, medieval knights could have used it instead of chainmail. This skin of this stuff is is incredibly tough, and um, you, you could you could you could need a chainsaw to cut through a rutabaga. Um, because it's so it's so thick. But you dice up all of this together. Uh, you put the harder vegetable, starchy vegetables at the bottom, the carrots. Uh, then you put the meat um, uh, as well uh, on these little cylinders of pastry. I'd use a small plate, use the pastry to cut it out. And then you press it together and form this wonderful pasty and you crimp it and knead it together. And then you put it in the oven, a little bit of butter on the ingredients at the top there and you put it in the oven uh, about 350 for about an hour, 10 minutes, and you have a beautiful, wonderful pasty. A little bit of onion gravy on top of there. Really really, is very, very nice as well. So, you know, in terms of a recipe of the week, I I would say that the butter seeps into there, it cooks it. And I mean, I I think, you know, I've talked about this before, I wouldn't mind being buried alive within a pastry base with that wonderful, um, you know, uh, meat and unctuous vegetables underneath that that would be rather rather lovely indeed. And the the Cornish pasty, um, which is very similar to the empanada, by the way, um, was actually created by um, miners' wives used to uh, make these pasties. And the miners used to take this down to the coal mines and they used it twofold. Firstly, it helped warm the hands on a cold winter's uh, uh, day down at the mine and uh, secondly they could have it for lunch so that's the origin uh, you know how the pasty uh, really originated but anyway anybody who um has any uh, any ideas or any um suggestions for hot-handed pastry chefs out there uh, i would love to hear about that um in the week one of my one of my comedy heroes kenneth williams i, I saw in the on the uh, on the Twitter feed, um, I was thinking about COVID and how we're, you know, washing our hands and there's a baked potatoes song and you sing it for two minutes and you wash your hands very thoroughly. And I was thinking about um, uh, Ken Williams back in uh, 1953. It's from his diaries, the Kenneth Williams diaries, January 24th, 1953. And he said, there's two kinds of men on the tube, the London Underground. Those who blow their noses and then examine the results in a handkerchief and those who blow their noses without exhibiting any such curiosity, I generally come under the first category. So, you know, good for you, Ken. I, I think that uh, I think it's quite, uh, quite important to keep uh, cleanliness during this uh, during this time of, uh, of, uh, of lockdown. And uh, if anybody's actually played the, the egg and spoon uh, race um, during lockdown, I'd love to hear about that. You know, six foot apart egg and spoon races. I think it's a sport that we could bet on. We could go down to bookmakers again and bet on who in the neighborhood's going to win. Uh, actually, win the, the 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 egg and spoon race. Um, so, I think um, another wonderful thing that I saw uh, in the week um, is I saw a Russian lady. Wait for it. I'm not accessing. A dodgy websites but a Russian lady was actually creating a face mask out of a sock so she took a sock and was clipping around it was almost like sock origami um, and I think that's something rather wonderful I mean it's something I think I'm going to do at Christmas time instead of hanging socks up I might hang up and make sock origami and or maybe a snowflake out of socks garish socks as it you know don't use the white uh the white to train a sock or a tennis shoe sock get a garish sock get a pink sock get a purple sock but anyway she was making uh, face mark out socks so that's something that i am going to try this weekend i think what a fascinating life the uh the uh the the british butler Chappie does have now I, I did mention at the beginning of the show and i tweeted in a week that um i'm gonna look at cricket um because cricket is one of those games that nobody seems to understand um, outside of uh, the UK, um, uh, West Indies, uh, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, and one of the best little ditties that I've heard uh, in terms of explaining cricket is uh, this is how you know you would explain cricket to a foreigner, and I actually uh, I actually did at one time uh, teach uh, cricket uh, to one of my uh, Japanese friends. And um, I basically explained it similar to baseball, but better, more fashionable attire, with a break for lunch and tea, and you eat cucumber sandwiches. And he really liked the idea of that, um, you know, and I think uh, he was certainly taken by the game and, uh, and still loves the game. Uh, but cricket has explained to a foreigner, you have two sides, one out in the field and one in. Each man that is in the side that in is in goes out and when he's out he comes in and the next man goes in until he's out. When they're all out, the side that's out comes in and the side that's been in goes out and tries to get those coming in out. Sometimes you get men still in and not out. When a man goes out to go in, the men who are try to get him out and when he is out he goes in and the next man in, in goes out and goes in. There are two men called umpires who stay out all the time and they decide when the men who are in and are out. When both sides have been in and all the men have been out and both sides have been out twice after all the men have been in, including those who are not out, that's the end of the game. Anyway, quite simple uh, and, and rather wonderful. And if you want to read the renditions of Piggy Woodhouse, um, again, a wonderful uh, uh, literary masterpiece uh, masterpieces over the years um, cricket is, uh, is, 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 is a wonderful game to behold and in, as I said incredibly fashionable anyway I think we're going to now um, sojourn um, into la campagne Princesse. the French countryside and I was actually talking to my rather lovely and rascal uh, ridden uncle Uh, over the course of the week and he was, you know, reminiscing about wild boar being in his fridge and um, how men and women and families in France do not get milk delivered they get wine delivered they have bottles of wine delivered, normally in four sometimes six and I thought this is rather wonderful um, because of the humble milkman uh, I'd never seen a milkman over in the US before, um, but in the UK. But the, the French actually have their, the wine delivered. And he was also telling me about a friend of his who stumbled over a lamb on a walk that ended up in his freezer. So I don't know if this is a, a scurrilous tale of gin and tonic-ridden um, hiking, perhaps, but these are the sort of things that, that happen Um, in France and that we don't get either in the US or in the UK so you get wine delivered there how wonderful I mean I don't think he cooks much with the wine Uh, I think most of it's spilled as he uh, drinks more and more and I think he has actually uh, also introduced the French to the gin and tonic and also the grin and tonic that uh, that is actually grapefruit and gin, sunny side up, and it becomes a grin and tonic. So, anyway, it was rather lovely uh, talking to him over the week, and uh, we'll have more tales from the French countryside uh, coming up in uh, in future podcasts. Definitely, um, I think it is a rather wonderful place to to live. I think they have a great quality of life. And uh, if you've ever had a chance to read Peter Males a year in Provence, I have a feeling that's how a lot of uh, them live. It's very tranquil, um, lots of crusty baguettes, lots of uh, melted brie and, and gruyere and croque Oh, it really makes me, uh, it makes me really um, uh, reminisce and, uh, and uh, you know, think about living in Provence or the French a la Campagne. So I think, uh, you know, in terms of the the keep calm and, uh, and, and uh, carry on pod- podcast, I'm thinking about that there's actually a um, wonderful show that's, uh, that's starting on Netflix and it, it's been uh, released today. I've seen the previews. Um, I know a lot of the uh, actors who are in it or know of them in terms of viewing Pleasure in the past. And... Um, Something that uh, uh, you know, I think that you should certainly watch tonight. It's a show called White Lines. It's basically about a world famous DJ who's murdered twenty years ago, and then his sister goes back to Ibiza um, twenty years later, and it's and it's a rather wonderful uh, uh, murder mystery um, with a with a sort of reflection of uh, club life back in the nineties. So anybody who's sort of early 40s and below will probably remember those heady days of, uh, of, of clubbing. And I don't know if if there's actually the, uh, the the foam clubs anymore. I don't know, can you remember those nightclubs that they used to fill with foam? Now, I was thinking that these days, you know, for a, a 40-something-year-old man, it, you know, probably wouldn't get away with uh, going into these sorts of uh, nightclubs anymore. But I was wondering, you know, with these Nespresso machines, you get the, you get the, the, the foam uh, contraption that makes the froth. Could for the older generation, could you just like um, mix up and whip up a load of froth in an Nespresso machine and full a whole nightclub with it? You know, maybe you could play some 80s tunes there, maybe a little bit of Barry Manilow, Copacabana, but it would be a perfect little um, uh, reflection of uh, club life or one's club life back in the day. Uh, but for the slightly older gentleman and lady, uh, like a, a club filled of Nesp- Nespresso milk foam might be the, uh, might be the way forward um, in terms of uh, club life for us uh, over, over 21s. So ladies and gentlemen, Peters, I'd like to um, delve into one of the great British institutions now that many of you haven't heard of. Many look at it uh, and say, why would you ever eat anything that's called blood pudding, um, blood sausage, etc., etc.? So one of the staples of the uh, of the English breakfast is the uh, is the congeal blood pudding. Absolutely delicious. Lots of wonderful spices in there. It is absolutely uh, uh, delicious and very, very filling as well. Incredibly good for you. You know, uh, uh, a lot of a uh, lot of iron in that blood. Uh, anyway, so I, I had come across a, a wonderful little top 10 list that I want to talk about in terms of the uh, full English fried breakfast. Yes, not uh, the style of Alan Freeman, not off. Anyway, so uh, coming in at number 10, knowing the whole meal would be rendered completely joyless if you, it wasn't for the cup of tea which you washed it down with, Number nine, acting surprised that you feel a bit stuffed after forcing 4,000 calories into your belly by 9am. Number eight, daring to offer an opinion about fry-ups on social media with the result that you you now have 500 strangers calling you an idiot. Feeling quietly but eternally furious that your dining partner asked for no sausages instead of just donating theirs to you. Arguing that the chips have no place in a cooked breakfast as you polish off the last remaining one on your plate. That's number six. Pot Pickers, number five. Hoping that the double of fried bread won't kill you whilst conceding that it'll be a damn fine way to go. Come in at number four, Pot Pickers. Asking someone how they'd like the eggs and receiving the answer poached and hissing you bastard under your breath. And number three, worrying that the cafe's gut buster option might not uh, be enough for your appetite. So you're opting for the double mega gut buster, which is free if you finish it. And then number two, hope you like your bacon crispy mate. Um, translation Hope you enjoy eating pork flavoured ash to the sound of a fire alarm. And we're coming in at number one, ladies and mantelpieces. Pot pick is not off. And coming to the conclusion that there are two types of people in the world people who like baked beans in a separate little pot, and normal people. Well, there we go there's a the fried breakfast you should try it i think you can get everything in america other than the blood pudding and i don't even know if blood pudding is uh, is that available anymore um you know in terms of um uh in the uk um answers on a postcard please and um something that i read in the week that was very very sad and and uh, very 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 tragic at this time um is that uh, as, I, uh, as I actually um, starched my, my shirt this week, and it was extra stiff this week, extra stiff starch in the shirt for you, uh, all you lovelies out there for this week, um, I did read that a free 360, uh, 356-room castle had three socialites with no staff. And I think um, this is a wonderful article that was, uh, was in, the, uh, in the London Times uh, in the course of the week. The Manners sisters are famous for their partying. Now they're stuck at home, tidying the castle. Lady Alice Manners tells uh, the correspondent from the Times, there's no such thing as a good lockdown. Lady Alice Manners lockdown is stupendous. The 25-year-old daughter of the Duke of Rutland has spent the past couple of months holed out in the family seat the 366-room Belvoir Castle in Leicestershire. She is living with her parents, two brothers, two sisters and a boyfriend who all get along like a house on fire. And her Instagram feed is just the ticket if you want to spend the day procrastinating with envy. Horse rides around a 15,000-acre estate, family meals at the beautifully laid tables in the garden, or around a giant mahogany dining table that looks like a couple of Van Dykes on the wall in the background. Her long-term boyfriend, Otis Ferry, son of Brian Ferry, the established uh, crooner is uh, sitting on a, a crenellated tower surrounded by blossom while manners pose in a, uh, in an orchard wearing 425 pound dungarees by bamford handcrafted by artisans in india oh these poor people they have no servants at the moment no hired help no gardeners and they're actually cooking for themselves which are actually enjoying my heart does bleed and does sob eternally for uh, lady alice manners and uh, on all of her family, obviously. So, on Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheese, podcast number four, um, we're we're going to have a series of whodunits, uh, musical whodunits, or generally mysteries that uh, have uh, become apparent and solved by my own fair hand over the years. So I was doing a little bit of research. I was listening to some wonderful Carly Simon, who I think has uh, is one of the most loveliest ladies out, uh, out there in terms of uh, pop music and music in general. And uh, Carly uh, revealed who the mystery man was who wore the apricot, apricot, or apricot scarf during her song, You're So Vain. It is a real mystery because I think over many years, many fairly narcissistic um, partners and lovers of hers thought it was them uh, who were named uh, in the song and who wore the apricot scarf. And you have to remember, during the 1970s, apricot scarfs apricot scarves, were a very, very um, much the fashion item in the form of uh, an ascot or cravat. So many of these gentlemen were wearing uh, uh, this attire, as you see in sort of reruns of, uh, of Columbo, which is one of my uh, weekly uh, guilty pleasures, I have to say. But I think Warren Beatty um, thought that he was the one that was mentioned in the song, You're So Vain, and he was the inspiration of the song. Uh, but she's kept this quiet for like nearly 50 years. I think it's like the 50 year anniversary here. And, and uh, she did confirm that the second verse of the uh, of the actual of the actual song is about warren Beatty. um you're so vain you probably think the song is about you you had me several years ago when i was still quite naive well you said that we made quite a pretty pair and that you would never leave but you gave away the things you loved one of them was me i had some dreams that were clouds in my coffee clouds in my coffee that was about warren Beatty. but the infamous apricot scarf She's remained quite uh, tight lipped about. But in the Janet Jackson song, Son of a Gun, she did mention that uh, the apricot scarf, which was in the song, the apricot scarf was worn by Nick. Nothing in the words referred to Mick. It's actually Nick. And that, ladies and mantelpieces, was a novelist, Nicholas Del Banco who they were lovers in the 1960s. So Nicholas Dalbanco was a gentleman wearing the apricot scarf. (laughs) So there'll be more musical whodunits in future episodes of Keep Calm and Cauliflower Cheers. So as we uh, close Keep Farm and Cauliflower Cheese for another another week, um, maybe I'll do two next week. I may be a little bit greedy and gluttonous and provide you lovely people with uh, two episodes of the podcast next week. Um, but... I came across a poem, and this has sort of been a little bit of a cricket special. One of my passions, one of my ponchances, is the uh, Lever and Willow game. But this is a poem that I, uh, I read that was a, an entry by somebody who wrote into the Spectator newspaper. And I thought it was quite cheeky and uh, rather loved it. But we'll close with this today. My wife reminds me of a game of cricket, a splendid sport that's hard to comprehend. I often feel I'm on a sticky wicket caught out or stumped or driven around the bend, and when she starts to eye the heavy roller or pads towards the dreaded daisy-cutter, I know it's my time to grab my coat and bowler. Must just run out to buy some fags, I mutter. The day we met, she truly bowled me over, eyelashes batting, tempting me to a sin. I made my pitch, she acquiesced, I drove her to find a feather bed and bang it in. My long-legged love de- declares that I'm her third man, or three of us—a silly point called Patrick. And though she sometimes finds me absurd, man, and she says it, it, it thanks to me, she scored her hat trick. Anyway, ladies and gentlemen, ladies and mantelpieces, it's been an absolute blast this afternoon. Uh, I've been peppered with hail during the course of this, uh, this, uh, the duration of the podcast, but I am fine. I did put on a pith helmet just to protect myself. I better get back to my ironing. I do like things very pristine, and, uh, and when I'm providing uh, uh, sandwiches, the crusts need to be cut off. So I better get back to it. Uh, thank you very much for listening, and uh, cheerio, toodaloo for now.